beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Friends, did you know that there is a 10 things to tell you connection group online? It's totally free. It lives on Facebook. There are nearly 2,000 people in there ready to show a little kindness, ready to crowdsource your next weekend read. It's just a really great group of people made up of listeners to this show. So like-minded in that, like you, they are probably craving better conversations. They are probably looking for connection online or off. I just love the threads in that group. I love the vibe. It's also a place to share your answer to a prompt. We ask so many questions on this podcast. We share so many prompts that you can use in real life or use in your journal. A lot of people do not want to share that widely publicly on their social media. So here in this group, it's a great place to practice sharing yourself, to practice listening to others, and just have a small little corner of kindness on the big worldwide web. So if you would like to join us in the 10 Things to Tell You connection group, I would love it. You go to facebook.com slash 10 things to tell you, and then click the little button that says visit group, and you can join that way. I hope I see you in there. But now let's get to what we're here for today, and that is to talk about hosting house guests. And this topic, even though it's not really something that I have talked about much on this show or online in a very long while, this is actually something that I feel pretty experty on, to be honest with you. If I had to pick a thing that I could really share an expertise in, it might be hosting house guests. And that's because for almost the entirety of my adult life, definitely for the 20 years that I have lived in Los Angeles, 
I have had frequent house guests from the time that I just had a little tiny apartment and guests would crash on my couch all the way to last week I hosted my entire extended family, 17 people in my new house. It was air mattresses galore. It was also a little bit of a last minute thing. So I had to think on my feet. And I did post about that. I posted on Instagram about my whole family coming to visit, which inspired some questions, which inspired this episode because I realized this is something that we can, you know, talk about now. Having house guests was not on my radar for the last 18 months or so. And now suddenly it was. And I realized that this is a thing that I could definitely share 10 thoughts on and maybe it would be helpful to you. We are also headed to our lake house soon. And we have had our lake house since the very early years of our marriage. Jeff and I bought it in late 2008. And every single summer since then, with the exception of 2020, we have hosted tons and tons of friends and family and work retreats and bachelorette weekends. And I mean, just so many guests have come through the screen door at our lake house. So between that space and our home in Los Angeles, we have hosted a ton of people. But in doing an episode about house guests, it is like sort of necessary to define what that might mean for you because we all have different situations. We all have different types of homes or live in different locations that, you know, are really going to dictate the type of house guests that we're going to host. So maybe we're hosting our parents or siblings or family members. Maybe we're hosting friends from college. Maybe we're hosting, you know, friends with kids the same age as ours. Maybe we're hosting friends who are in desperate need of a relaxing weekend away from their own space. And so there's no right exact way to host house guests because there's so many variations of how this can look. I tried to just make these tips general enough that you can apply them to your own situation, your own personality type, your own natural talents and skills. And so all of that leads me to the number one tip. We're just going to jump right in here to hosting. The number one tip is get a handle on the vibe. This is so important because I think when you come away from a weekend that you felt like didn't work and you were disappointed either as the host or as the guest, a lot of times those disappointments are because of mismatched expectations. One family really wanted a weekend of quality time and chill, low-key rest. And one family really wanted to sightsee and pack their time together full of activities and make really overt memories and that kind of thing. And so what you have to do, what is really important for any trip, but especially when you are hosting people in your home, is to make sure you have a solid handle on the vibe, what the guests are wanting and what you are able to provide. Because let's be clear, even if it is people that you love, even if it is something you're super excited about your time together, it's work if you're the host. It is work. And so you don't want to put in a bunch of effort or not put in enough effort and it be something that you or your guests weren't quite expecting. So from the very first get-go, however this house guest experience originates, if someone asked if they could come stay with you, or if you invited someone to come, however this first conversation originates, make sure you have a handle on the vibe. Because that will dictate all of your planning and all of your in-the-moment hosting and pivoting and all of that kind of thing. I've had house guests that have used our home in Los Angeles just like as a base camp. They took their family to Disneyland. They went to the beach, whatever, and they were sort of using us as a place to stay, which I knew that ahead of time. And so it was totally fine. I could relax all of my normal planning besides the times, you know, when they were planning to be in my physical house. I've also had guests show up and 
want to be (laughs) really, really catered to. They want to be driven around and planned for like I'm a dadgum concierge. Sometimes that's fine. Sometimes like I can't do it that month. I cannot pull that type of weekend together. I'm too busy. I'm too burned out. The relationship foundation for that sort of thing is not there. So just make sure however this starts to unfold, that you have a real handle on what the vibe is. And if it's something that you can provide, something that you want to provide, and that what your guests want and what you want is in alignment. Now, the obvious caveat here is that you can't always 100% choose any of this that I'm talking about. Maybe you have in-laws coming and it's not what you would choose. And the way that they want you to host is not what you want to do. And you sort of have to suck it up and do it anyway. So I understand that not all of this is 100% your choice. But in the year 2021, like, this is not last century. This is not Emily Post's etiquette anymore. You do, to a certain extent, get to have a say in how this all goes down. You don't have to use every single etiquette or house guest type of rule that maybe you grew up with or maybe you learned from your mom or whatever. Like, it's a new world. And people travel a lot more than they used to. And people have their own little computers in their hands to be able to Google stuff or use maps or whatever. Like, be clear about the vibe, but also be clear about the modern world and that we are all adults here. And like, it is perfectly okay for you to expect your house guests to like, function and not be completely helpless and you do not have to do every single thing for them at every single moment. Opening up your home does not have to mean that you have sacrificed all of your autonomy or boundaries or personal preferences. You get to choose. So that's number one, get a handle on the vibe. Number two, once you have that handle, Set those expectations early with clear communication. Now, again, this is really going to matter depending on what your relationship is to your guests. People that have been repeat house guests to our home, my communication with them is, you know, maybe a little lacking ahead of time because they kind of already know our house rules. I already know if their family has any allergies or whatever. But if they're first time guests or you want to just make sure you're real, real clear on a few things then set those expectations early with some communication. And although I just gave like a little mini speech about it being, you know, the year 2021 and using the computers in our pockets, I prefer most of this communication to go out on an email versus text. So if it's a new guest, someone that's new to me, I might send an email explaining a little bit about what our family rhythms look like. Like who's an early riser? Who is a late sleeper? Who has allergies? The fact that we always order pizza on Fridays. Here's the best place to park on my street. This is the Wi-Fi password. Please make sure you bring your own whatever. Like, I I don't know. I do a lot of communicating at the beginning, even if sometimes that feels a little awkward to like lay down a few family rules. Here's some examples of what those might be. If you don't wear shoes in your house, this might be something that you communicate ahead of time in this type of email. If you don't do screens for your kids on the weekdays at all, no exceptions, like if that's your family rule, maybe that's something you communicate to them because they're bringing kids also and that definitely might be a thing. Now, I'm not saying that you don't bend your own family rhythms for, you know, making an exception for house guests. Of course you might for a fun weekend, whatever. But if you don't, we all have our stuff If you feel like it's something that needs to be communicated, please do so. Communication is a kindness. So if you have someone in your household that struggles with alcohol, if you are an alcohol-free family, you don't want the guests to show up bearing wine as their gift to you. So a few things that will just make everyone more comfortable and that you, you know, let them respond also, that they can tell you some of their family things or some of their personal preferences. It's just really helpful. Also in that same email, I try not to inundate people. Like they don't need 10 emails from you. You're not coordinating like, you know, a grand event. But in that same sort of email about here's what I'm thinking about the weekend, here's some things you should know, 
if I already have a rough outline of what I want the weekend to look like, if you're already to that stage, I will include that also. Like we plan to go to the beach on Saturday. We plan to barbecue on Sunday. Let me know if this is not what you are thinking. So presumably you're sending this particular email after you've gotten a handle on the vibe, but it also gets you know, sort of a conversation rolling about what the time together is going to look like from a schedule perspective. And on that same note, from a schedule perspective, I have so many, so many thoughts and notes here about the schedule of time with house guests, with guests at all. But number three on the 10 tips is plan ahead what you can. Now, this seems like the most obvious thing, but I have a hundred percent been guilty of dropping the ball on this by thinking, oh, I can do that when it gets closer, or oh, we can make that reservation the day of, or whatever. Maybe you can, you know your own city best, but maybe you can't. And there's no harm in doing it early, especially on things that can be canceled if you need to. So I'm talking about dinner reservations, buying tickets ahead of time, whatever that might be, do those things early. Because you may very well think, oh, it's not going to be a problem to get a reservation for four. But what you don't know is this weekend is a big conference in town or whatever, and it is going to be hard to get a reservation for four at your favorite spot, the spot you want to bring your guests. So why not just do it early? For a lot of these things, it's no harm if you need to cancel it, and then you already have it. Buying tickets is sometimes something that, you know, gets you more locked into a schedule or whatever, but if you're pretty sure this is something you want to do, just do as much of that as possible, as early as possible. I'll tell a quick story here. Several years ago, I had a bunch of friends in town, and it was sort of a stop-off destination. We were all heading up to Lake Arrowhead, a couple of hours from Los Angeles, but my friends had flown in to LAX, and they stayed at my house for a night before we went up to the mountains. Well, one of the things that we all wanted to do together was go to the Korean spa. It's a place I love in LA, and you normally do not need reservations. In fact, I had never in my life made reservations at a Korean spa. So I just thought, you know, we would sort of do my normal thing, the normal way that I would do this. Well, the thing was, there was 10 of us. That's a really different situation than me just showing up and being like a walk-in. I definitely should have researched at the very most minimum called and confirmed if I did or did not, because we got to the spot I wanted to take my friends, and they wouldn't take us. Now, the story ended up working out well because there was more than one spot that we could go to, and I frantically ended up making some phone calls and got us in to another great situation, but it was stressful, and I was like pretty embarrassed that I hadn't (laughs) thought ahead on this thing that seemed really obvious in retrospect. So even though it might be a restaurant or a place or an activity or whatever that you're used to doing alone, or in like a group of one or two, if you have a bigger group, don't assume that those same rules apply. Make sure you understand the parking, the ticketing, the reservations, like what it's going to look like when there's more people involved. Because the one thing that you don't need when you already have guests in your space, when you're already at sort of this heightened state of like caring if they're having fun, caring if they are comfortable in their accommodations, whatever, when you're already sort of in this heightened state of taking care of other people, you do not want to add unnecessary stress like showing up to the activity you have planned and it being closed. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over 5,000 distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. 
Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Okay, so now we've talked about getting a handle on the vibe, setting your expectations early with communication, and planning ahead what you can. Tip number four is set up your house for success. So there are so many ways to do and think about this, but I know that I'm not alone when I say that having people in your home Being in the actual physical home is sometimes the hardest part to prepare for. Of course, you want people to feel comfortable. Of course, you want people to think your space is pretty or clean or whatever. And so a lot of us spend like an inordinate amount of time prepping our homes. We like deep clean. We buy new throw pillows. We put fresh flowers out on the kitchen island when we'd never done that before in our whole life. And there is nothing wrong with wanting to impress and make people feel welcome and at home. Absolutely not. It's completely natural. And I want us all to take pride in our space. And so by all means, do whatever you're going to do to make your place look great for your guests. But making it look pretty, i.e. buying throw pillows and flowers, does not always accomplish the end goal, which is making this time together comfortable and less stressful from a like physical house point of view. So what do I mean by that? I mean, set yourself up so that your guests are not constantly coming to you with like a lot of questions and or requests. Again, when you have guests, you have a lot of things going down in your brain. You don't want to be running around trying to find them a hairdryer. You don't want to be doing an extra load of laundry because they burned through all the bath towels night one. Do a few things that will set you up for success from a stress point of view (laughs) and your guests up for success and that they can totally take care of themselves. Here are a few ways to do that. In my guest bathroom, I have plenty of shampoo, body wash, washcloths, extra razors, Q-tips, like the things, the things that people need in the bathroom, the things that they are used to having in a bathroom when they are traveling like in a hotel or whatever, and the things that you don't want them to come ask you for and you draw a blank, feminine products, toilet paper, Like the things, make it so that they never have to come ask you for anything. An extra blanket, maybe they're a cold sleeper, an extra pillow if you have it, a comb, breath mints, like, you know, I don't know, you know yourself, you know your guests. I just have all of those things. I hope that it makes them feel welcome. I also hope that they don't ever come and ask me for it. In the same vein, in your earlier communication email, 
Maybe you asked what kind of drinks that they like. What kind of coffee do they like in the morning? Do they like soft drinks? Do they like beer? Like have some of their favorite snacks and drinks around and this will make your life easier and their trip better. And it's not really much skin off your back. Like I think I bought 20 pack of disposable razors or something. And maybe it's been in my guest room for like five years. Who knows? Like it's not like people blaze through all of those things. If you set it up really well once and then you check it before each new set of guests, it's not as complicated or you know, as expensive as it sounds. And my rule of thumb is have enough snacks, towels, caffeine, and alcohol for everyone. I feel like if you have those four things, you are going to have a great time at anyone's house. I'll say it again. Snacks, towels, these are both bath towels and swim towels, if you differentiate between the two. Caffeine, whatever that is, Dr. Pepper for me, coffee for the morning crowd, and alcohol, if that fits your vibe. If you have plenty of those things, snacks, towels, caffeine, and alcohol, most guests are going to be like happy as a clam. They can have a little snack on their own. They don't need to ask you for permission. They can grab a Coke out of the fridge when they're feeling jet lagged or grumpy. It's just going to help everyone if you stock those four things. Any other ways that you can think of to set up your home for success so that your guests don't have to ask you a lot of things is best. So I haven't yet done this at our new house, but at our old house, I had the Wi-Fi password in like a little frame that sat in the guest room, or maybe you can put it in the kitchen or something so they don't have to ask for the Wi-Fi password. If you have a gate code, if you live in an apartment or something like that, like make sure that they have access to that sort of thing, a garage code or something like that. Any of those things where they're not going to bug you or be embarrassed to have to keep asking you for, just set them up to be provided. If you have a really complicated housing situation or you're having kind of a longer term guest or whatever reason you might deem this necessary, you know, make a little binder or a little printout that sort of lives in their room like you would at a hotel that explains a lot of things. That might be a little too type A for some of us. But if it floats your boat, I promise you will not regret being overprepared and Even if there's some lighthearted teasing or something like that, I promise you it will be appreciated by those who are staying there. Okay, number five. Number five might be controversial. (laughs) I don't know. Sort of depends on personality types. And I've broken my own rule here. Most of the time I've regretted it, but I'm going to say it anyway because I want you to just think about it. Number five is... Only plan for one activity a day. One. I'm really sticking to it. And you might be thinking, what? The people are coming to visit me. We need to do this, that, and the other thing. We need to go to brunch. Then we need to go shopping. Then we have great dinner reservations. Well, unless you're listening to this and you're approximately 24 years old, you are too old to pack out your day that way. You are going to get tired. You are going to snap at your spouse. You are going to start resenting your guests. Even the most extroverted friends I know can get burned out after more than one major activity a day, especially if you've done that several days in a row. Like you are just going to be too tired and somebody's going to have a fight. Somebody's kid is going to melt down in some really, truly ruinous way. Somebody's spouse is going to be shooting daggers across the room. Like you just have to build in a lot of margin. That's actually the next one, point number six, but I'm going to keep talking about point number five, one activity a day, because you can't always help this. Like maybe your guests are coming in for a specific event. And so, you know, you have to do the event and you have to do a meal. I mean, like I get it. But be really, really aware of not over-scheduling your time. Even extroverts, even people who are there for the fun or people who are there for the quality time, that can be achieved outside of a formal activity. So unless you really don't know one another very well, and that's probably not that true for house guests on the whole, 
just hanging out on the couch together, on the back patio together, taking a walk or something like that, that will be some of the most meaningful time. You do not need to fill up every hour with some kind of extra fun, memorable activity. In fact, you shouldn't. I just guarantee you that you're going to end up having to cancel things or, or reconfigure and whatever if you pack it out. I would much rather schedule one major activity a day and then if everyone is up for it, adding something else in. Now, have I fudged this one? Yes, I have. And sometimes it has been successful, but on the whole, <laughs> I really try to stick to this rule. The main exceptions here would be meals. One activity a day and then one meal out or whatever a day, those can kind of go together. But you don't want to plan to go to the beach in the morning and go karts in the afternoon. Like it's just a lot. And it might be super fun in the moment. And if you have a day like that for logistical reasons, then the next day needs to be super mellow. You need to give people time to sleep in, to watch a movie, to just recover if you have one really big packed out day. One activity a day is just a great rule of thumb. Now, I sort of developed this rule because that was our family rule when we traveled. So when we're on a vacation or something, we would only do one activity a day. And that evolved, you know, with having babies, with my own introvert self, et cetera, et cetera. But then I realized that it wasn't translating so much when I had house guests, that I wasn't applying that rule to my guests. I was trying to really pack out their time with all of the fun places I wanted to show them or all of the cool restaurants we could go to. I wanted to make sure that they were getting like the max experience of being in LA. And we always ended up sort of... (laughs) wrecked after a few days of that and not in a good way. I wish I had spaced it out or I wish that I had really honed in and said, what are your three most important things that you want to do while you're here? And then worked around those. There are lots of activities that are looser and can be sort of slotted in whenever there's downtime or whenever you find yourself with extra energy. So for me, I'm thinking of shopping. A lot of times doing some shopping is like you know, not in the top five. I hope that we're able to do a little bit if it comes up, but that's one of the kind of first things to go if something's going to get canceled. Certain meals or certain sightseeing or that kind of thing, those can all be held a little more loosely. But there is absolutely no reason to cling hard to a schedule of boom, 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 activity after activity, except for like in, you know, unusual circumstances. So this one might get some pushback. But I'm telling you, this is what works for us best. So number five was one activity a day. And number six goes with it. Build in downtime. So I schedule in downtime because I am afraid that it won't happen if I don't. And I also think it's really important to communicate that to your guests, especially if you're building in the downtime for your own benefit, which I think you should. In your early communication emails that we've already talked about, or in your just having conversations with them about it, say, hey, I don't want to schedule anything for Sunday night. Like, let's just sort of see what our mood is. But I'm really thinking that Sunday should just be very mellow. Maybe we'll order takeout. Maybe we'll eat leftovers. But I'm really holding this afternoon or this time frame aside. I'm purposefully not scheduling anything here for our own recovery and relaxation. Now, if you're able to do that every single day, that is best. Even if you have active people, a lot of times scheduling in the few hours before dinner time, so maybe you do an activity in the day, but you plan time to come back to the house and just have a few hours where people can shower, rest, recoup before anyone starts cooking or getting ready for a dinner plan. Now, this might be a slight tangent, but I feel like that this matters. You may often have house guests where you haven't taken off work while they're here. You're still having to work during the day. They're having to fend for themselves. And then maybe you have evening plans or something like that. In that case, it's like a little bit harder to build in the downtime or how to think about your one activity a day. But if that is what some of your days look like, even if you have been at work all day and you plan to spend 
time together in the evening, still be very mindful of what their energy is like. So remember when I mentioned my friends who just used our house as home base and then they like did family stuff all during the day? When we had those friends here, I didn't book us like a bunch of dinners out. I purposely cooked for those guests or ordered takeout or something because they were coming home from a big, exhausting family day and they did want to spend time with us. They're our friends, but they also just wanted to be mellow then. So even though you haven't seen them all day, so you're excited for that quality time, don't force your favorite restaurant on them after they've been at Disneyland all day. (laughs) Like, Just be super mindful of energy, regardless if you're talking about one activity a day for everyone or just for your guests. And then build in the downtime really purposefully. Really do not let that time go. It can be the difference in your relationship, right? If you are spending five days together, you do not want to spend half of that time grumpy. Also, as I'm sure you found on many a trip, sometimes it's the downtime. It's everyone in their pajamas sitting on the couch with some cold pizza when you have like the best conversations or when you have the most memorable laughs, or when your kids really bond together because they're not in the heat, in a line, in a sightseeing thing, but they're just like hanging out on the floor, sharing Minecraft strategy. Like that is valid quality time together. So when you're building in the downtime, you might be hiding in your bedroom for that downtime, but building in downtime can also mean where there's just nothing planned, hangout time. And it can be like the best part of the whole visit. Okay, I feel like I've already said some really key, important things about hosting. But number seven and number eight are super, super important. And I want you to hear me on these two points. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Okay, so number seven on... 10 tips for house guests. I just, I can't really think of like a pithy or cute way to say this. So I'm just going to say it directly. Be in charge. Now, don't take this the wrong way. Of course, as a host, you should be gracious. You should be, you know, accommodating to a point. The role naturally makes you go out of your way for your guests kind of no matter what the relationship is or or what the time together looks like. But don't forget this really key part of hosting people in your home. You are in charge. And I mean so many things by this. First of all, I mean, don't lose yourself in order to be accommodating and gracious You know, don't bend your own family rules or your own personal integrity or moral compass just to be nice. You know, it's one thing to like loosen up on the screen time for the weekend. It's another thing to like let someone smoke inside or 
not speak up when there's like a safety issue or even like a cleanliness issue or a boundaries issue. Don't lose yourself or put yourself totally aside for the sake of your guests, no matter who they are. You know, sometimes I understand this can be sticky. You can have a different generation, you know, an older generation that you feel you should defer to. There might be something about your relationship with your house guests that, you know, is sort of tricky territory where you're trying to navigate and keep the peace. But really, really don't come to the end of a long weekend and feel like you gave up a little bit of yourself to serve someone else. Even in your home, especially in your home, don't betray yourself in this way. You get to make the rules. And even if the rules don't make sense to them, even if it causes some kind of a strife, use your common sense here, but don't give up your power. And I use power in just like the most factual sense of the word. You pay the rent, you pay the mortgage, you have issued this invitation, you are in charge. Don't get run over by someone else's rudeness or selfishness or their own power dynamic. So that is one side of this, be in charge. The other side of this is a little more logical and a little less charged, if you will. But be in charge in that you are the one making suggestions and really like the final say. And by that, I mean, please do not, please, please do not say to your guests, I don't know, what do you want to do? What are you in the mood for? I mean, obviously, in the course of natural conversation, you might say, what kind of food do you want to order from DoorDash? Like, be a normal person. But if your guest, who is rightfully a little bit out of their own element, is like, I don't know. I'm not sure which restaurant to choose. I'm not sure which activity sounds better than the other one. Like, if they truly are not expressing a preference or, you know, seem to be stuck a little bit, please make that decision. I am saying this as an occasional house guest myself, and it actually puts a lot of pressure on me to feel like I have to choose the restaurant or the activity if there's not like a plan already in place, if I don't already have something in mind, because I feel like, well, what if I choose the wrong thing? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how far away this neighborhood is. Like, I don't know anything. Like, I'm much more comfortable with the host just saying, hey, why don't we try my favorite neighborhood restaurant? Or if everyone's trying to get on the same page with saying there is this Mexican restaurant and this Chinese restaurant, which are you in the mood for? And they already have like specific places in mind and then they let me choose. Something like that. But do not leave your guests totally to themselves because chances are they're the ones traveling. And while it's taxing to be a host, you know, it's a lot of work to be a host, it's also taxing to travel. And so they're probably not sleeping as well in your guest bed as they are in their own bed. They're probably tired or having a lot of feelings about being in someone else's space. They're not eating their normal food or having their normal routine. And so it's taxing on the traveler's end as well, even if you are, you know, treating them like royalty. And so unless it's going to be a big hullabaloo, remember that you're in charge and be in charge. Don't not make a plan for a meal or an activity time or something and then end up with everyone just twiddling their thumbs or something ending up happening that's really half-hearted. Now, I know some of this goes a little bit against everything I've already said about building and downtime and all of that. I don't think you have to plan it perfectly to the nines and with every single meal and hour scheduled, but just like a gracious host will fill in a lull in the conversation, if you will, and toss out a new topic or redirect how a conversation is going to go. Do the same in the hosting decisions. If there's a lull in what needs to happen next, if there's been too much downtime, or if people are really floundering on what to eat next (laughs) or whatever, step in and be that authority. This is really crucial. And it's also a kindness 
And it's just necessary for both the host and the hosted to have someone in charge. It just is. But then number eight, hear me loud and clear. Number eight on my 10 tips is just as important. If number seven is be in charge, number eight is but let people help. It is totally okay to let your guests do the dishes after you cooked a big meal for them. Don't expect that. I would never expect that. As the host, I'm really willing to take on every task. But if that relationship is familiar enough and they seem to genuinely want to help in the cleanup portion of the evening, let them. Same if they are like, you know, can we take you to dinner as a thank you for having us here this weekend? Be like, great, I would love that. Now, of course, you're going to be mindful in those instances. You're going to suggest a restaurant that's very modest price. You're not going to like take advantage (laughs) of guests who, you know, come to serve you or whatever, but let people help you. And help shows up in all kinds of different forms. You know, some people are not going to be able to chip in financially or offer to take you dinner or whatever, but they might offer, hey, why don't we take all the kids on a walk and give you, the host, like an hour to yourself to read or nap or something like that. Great. Let them. People want to feel like they're sort of earning their welcome, if you will. People want to feel like that this is community, that this is relationship, that this is kind of a time we're all in together. You know, if you're hosting someone where the dynamic is expected that you are going to take care of them hand and foot and pay for everything and cook and clean every moment, whatever, then you maybe want to examine that relationship. And I don't say that lightly. I know those relationships exist, that that might be what it feels like with a family member or with certain personalities, but you don't have to let it play out that way. You can, if you are in a situation where you feel like the guest has really been particularly unhelpful on their visit, or maybe they lack the graces to know to offer help, then you can always suggest. I mean, look, we have guests all the time, and it's never the Queen of England. Like, I have no problem giving people assignments. I asked a guest this weekend to take the trash out. I have no problem at our lake house when we're there for a week with multiple families giving like assignments, like you're in charge of Thursday night dinner. I don't care if Thursday night dinner is you order pizza for everyone or you, you know, cook a homemade meal from scratch. Like you choose, but I am not dealing with Thursday night dinner. I mean, I say it more nicely than that. But depending on what your house guest situation is, it is totally fine to accept help, more than fine to accept help. And in some situations and in some dynamics to request the help within reason, of course, and within like normal etiquette. But hopefully most adults in your life will jump to help clear the table or will offer to take a turn watching the kids swim or whatever it is. But it's on you if you don't accept that help. If it is being offered and you are all grown adults, you are not getting some kind of award. You are not getting even some kind of kudos necessarily. It doesn't make their trip that much better because you waited on them hand and foot. And by the end of it, you were exhausted and grumpy and pushing them out the door. That does not make for a better experience for anybody. The best experiences that I've had over the years have been when by the end of the time together, they feel so at home in our home that they are putting away the dishes, taking out the trash. They know where to grab their snack. They know how I like the pillows on the couch. Like we have all come together in this space that happens to be ours, but we feel like such a togetherness about it. And that I think is the vibe that you're going for. Maybe you don't feel that way about your house. Like maybe you don't want anyone to feel so at home in your house that they, you know, are opening the drawers and cabinets or whatever. And that's okay. That's just a style thing. But from a vibe point of view, I do want my guests to feel so comfortable in my home that they feel like they can help, that they don't feel like anything is so precious that they need to just like sit and wait 
for me to make every move. I hope that I have set up a dynamic that is like, we are all adults and there's a certain amount of taking care of yourself that needs to be done. And at the same time, I love having you here. (laughs) Like all of those feelings. These two points are really important and I want you to think about them the next time that you have guests that you are in charge, but let people help. Okay, number nine. Now, number nine is totally my own thing. No one who listens to this show is going to be that surprised by it. But I had to throw it in because having house guests is not all about meals and entertainment and are there enough towels in the bathroom, although all of those things are important. Hopefully, it is also about your time together and the memories that you're making. And so number nine is facilitate at least one meaningful conversation. There are so many ways to do this. The dream, of course, is for this to happen naturally when everyone is relaxed and sitting in the backyard looking up at the stars, you know, or whatever. But that's not always reality. Sometimes you need a little nudge. And you can facilitate a great conversation using any of the prompts from this show or from my book. You can come up with one on your own that feels like it would be fun for everyone to go around and answer. You can share something like an article or a meme or a poem, you know, whatever the vibe of your group is that you all sort of read and then maybe discuss. A meaningful conversation doesn't have to be like your deepest thoughts. It can be around the movie that you all watched together. It can be about reminiscing of a you know, time long before. Meaningful conversations come in all shapes and sizes, but they don't always happen naturally. Sometimes they have to be nudged along. Often they have to be nudged along. And it takes some practice really to read the room and see like who is going to participate in this, what type of prompt you should throw out there or, you know, conversation starter you should get going If it doesn't really work, like if it sort of bombs the first time you try it, don't be discouraged. Like it doesn't mean that other people don't care about having the meaningful conversation. It doesn't mean that they don't want to have great memories, but it's worth trying again or maybe trying a different tactic. I just want you to leave your time together and feel like there was at least one conversation, even if it's not the whole group, even if it's just you and one other person on the weekend that, you know, really made time to connect in that way so that by the end of the time together, you can be like, gosh, a standout for me was that really good conversation we had in the car together while we ran to the grocery store for something. Or I'm really glad we talked about this thing we'd never talked about before. Or it doesn't have to be like, the deepest of the deep, of course, it can just be like on the last night of the trip for everyone to go around and say what their favorite part of the time together was. This one is especially good for kids. I read a thing and I wish I had the source material for this, but I read a thing when my kids were super little about making memories with children, like in a family setting, and that kids in families who frequently talked about They're like, remember when moments like, oh, my favorite part of the trip was this or, oh, remember two years ago when my sister did this or whatever, that this really cements childhood memories in kids is to not constantly reminisce, but to frequently reminisce in a short term, like what was your favorite part of this weekend? And in a long term, like, do you remember our trip last year? This is the kind of conversation I live for, so I do that naturally with my own kids all the time. <laughs> but when I read this years and years ago, like in like a sciency data way, it made sense to me. And so I do try to bring that up, not only around children, but around everyone to sort of cement in and mark this time together. You can play the high-low game. It just doesn't have to be that deep or that serious. It's just a touch point. It's just a way to connect, which of course, as you know, is like, my main thing. (laughs) Okay, so last one, we've come to number 10. Number 10 in 10 tips for house guests isn't so much about house guests. It's about you. Number 10 is reward yourself when it's over. 
When you have successfully hosted people in your home, whether for one night or whether for a week, or especially if you had a long-term guest, build in a reward for yourself. And I would set that up before anyone even arrives so that you know, even if you've had the best time of your life, you know that this other thing that's just for you is waiting on the other side of all this hosting. So rewards I've given myself in the past has been, I booked a massage after everyone left. I've booked a housekeeper after everyone left so that all of the post cleanup and putting the house back together isn't all on me. I've said to Jeff before, after like a week of cooking, primarily cooking with house guests, I've been like, I'm not cooking this week. We are doing takeout. We are doing sandwiches and cereal. (laughs) Like no more cooking for a week. I need a minute. That has been a reward. You can buy yourself a little present, like something you've had your eye on at Sephora, a little lipstick or something. Anything that will be like, that is my reward. I did it. I hosted and I killed it. Even if I didn't kill it, I got through it and I learned something. And so I'm going to reward myself. Now, I'm not a huge reward person, really. I've learned some from some of my other friends who are more about a reward system for yourself. And I think that it is effective. Like I've been implementing it more in my life than I ever have recently to be like, if I can get through this task, if I can finish this thing, I get a reward. You got to stay in a healthy mindset around it, right? But hosting people in your home, it's just no small thing. It takes a lot out of you. It usually ends up costing money. It definitely costs time. And so having something to look forward to on the other side of it is just good planning, if you ask me. So I have done all of these things. I have learned all 10 of these tips by complete trial and error, by 20 years of introverted, anxious me having tons of people in my home and for the most part loving it. I've definitely bungled it. All kinds of ways have I bungled it. But rarely is there anything that happens that really, truly ruins a whole time together. You know, look, if you burn the meal that you were so excited to make, we'll throw some frozen pizzas in the oven. This is a good chance to say always have that type of backup food. Frozen pizzas, sandwich bread, peanut butter, like (laughs) have backup food if at all possible. Noodles. There's just not a ton that you can't, like I said, come back from, that you can't salvage or reroute or pivot because hopefully what matters the most about the whole thing, even if the trip or the visit is really based around a very specific event or location or something, really what matters most is connection and relationship. And if you get to the end of a time together and you realize that maybe staying in the same household wasn't great for your relationship, and this is a thing that happens, it just does. You have this realization of like, you know, next time, maybe we should look into getting you a hotel or an Airbnb. Or next time, I don't think I'm the best host for this time together. That's okay. You learned from it. And that shouldn't be considered a failure. It's just knowledge. It's just data. And now you know. If it is just going to knock you flat, you are just really, it's just going to be too stressful, too expensive, too much effort. There is no rule that says you ever have to host. You are absolutely not obligated to say yes because someone has asked if they can come and stay. Because what do we learn in number seven? You are in charge. I hope that this episode empowered you. I hope that it gave you some fun and practical ideas for the next time that you have house guests or for the next time that you are a house guest and you're sort of thinking about it now from a different side, perhaps. I really love this topic. I actually had no idea how many words I had to say on this topic, but apparently I did. We are going to continue this conversation as we do every week in the Connection Group on Facebook. Again, you can find that by searching 10 Things to Tell You Connection in your Facebook app. We'll also be on Instagram, as always, at 10 Things to Tell You. Come tell me your tips if you have them. Come tell me if you disagree with anything that I said. I would absolutely love to hear from you. So thanks for listening to my wordy manifesto about having house guests. Now it's your turn to go share something.
Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.